We're going to turn to our Old Testament reading today. And our uh, reading today is taken from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 30. And we're going to read uh, verses 1 to 9. The words of Agur, the son of Jacob, the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who's the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is the word of the Lord. And let's turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 12, we're going to read uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 and 34, and when we read the gospel at Christ Church, we stand to recognize that all scripture points to Jesus and honors the, the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Savior. So would you please stand with me as we read the, the, uh, the gospel reading today. Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on, for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, 
They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink, nor be worried, For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father, He knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and where no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. Fathers, we approach your most holy word, we regard it, we acknowledge it, we bow to you, O Lord, through it, and submit to its teaching and to its authority. And now, Lord, we pray for the unction of your Holy Spirit to make this word applied to our hearts, so that we might not only hear, but that we might obey. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this place, O God, Through Jesus, may they be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our only Redeemer. For we do pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We've talked over the uh, the past two Sundays about how applicable the laws of the second table are to our culture and how applicable they are to our daily lives. Josh showed us two Sundays ago how we live in a culture of death, and how easy it is to breathe in those noxious fumes. And last week, we looked at how Jesus was so very right when he described this world as an adulterous generation. Well, the Bible also tells us that it's a generation of thieves. Jesus applied this term to the temple itself. The temple, in his day, had become, in Jesus' words, a den a nest of thieves and of robbers, that place which was supposed to be founded upon and revolving around the idea of gift and of giving had become something utterly preoccupied with theft and with thieving. Jesus also uses the sin of theft to apply to all those religious pretenders who had come before him. All who came before me, Jesus said, they're thieves and the robbers. It's also what characterizes the world. We read that today. This life, Jesus said, it's the place where the moth and rust destroy, and it's the place where thieves 
where they break through and steal. Zacchaeus, we heard this morning to the kids, was a thief and a robber. When Jesus, when he hung between heaven and earth, when he was surrounded by the sinful, we read that beside him to his right and to his left were two thieves. And when the Apostle Paul goes to describe his own sense of vulnerability and all of the hazards that face him as a missionary as he crisscrosses the Mediterranean, Paul names this very danger. He says, on frequent journeys, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger from false brethren, and danger from robbers, he says. Thieves are everywhere. They were in force in Jesus' day, in Paul's day, and they abound in our day. But more importantly, I think this morning, we have to admit that thieves abound in our own heart. For out of the heart, Jesus says, come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, and out of the heart comes theft. We're thieves by nature, and we do it with astonishing ease. Every one of us today has stolen something. If if it's only that we've stolen the glory from God. Now, as a society, admittedly, we have our appropriate guilt with this. We have an appropriate horror of theft and burglary. It angers us to see the innocent robbed. It angers us when we read the parable of the Good Samaritan and we see him with our mind's eye there, bleeding and bruised, bereft of everything that he had and left for dead. We get angry about that. But it's also true that our culture has made certain kinds of theft acceptable, if not fashionable. I'm talking now about the Brad Pitt, George Clooney, Matt Damon kind of theft. I'm talking about the Ocean's Eleven kind of theft. Theft from bad people. Theft from those who have too much money to know what to do with. Theft which seems justified. It's smart theft. It's stylish theft. It's theft a la mode, as it were. And that kind of mentality, it tends to trickle down into our consciences to find its way into our lives and to make us comfortable with certain aspects of theft. We get a kind of Robin Hood mentality. We say to ourselves, well, big corporations are bad. After all, big industry is bad. They're the bad guys. They've got too much money, and the money they have has been gained from unsavory means. Surely it can't be bad to take from them. I don't need to pay for that movie. I don't need to pay for that show. I don't need to pay for that song. I can just download it. I don't need to pay for that software program. I'll just take it. Microsoft, after all, has enough money, and their corporation is utterly iniquitous anyways. I mean, it's rather effortless to steal nowadays, isn't it? Stealing is very, very easy these days, and the obvious corruption and the injustice of all of these corporations can make theft all the more soothing to our conscience. Theft is everywhere. The world groans with theft. Listen to this. In the first three weeks of 2018 in Kelowna, from January 1st, 
to January 18, there were 144 thefts from vehicles in this city alone in just three weeks. 144. And that doesn't count all the thefts in the West Side. That doesn't count all the thefts in Lake Country. That doesn't count any other thefts. Just 144 thefts from vehicles in three weeks. Theft is everywhere. And it's not just the criminals. It's not just the mob or the gangs or the cat burglar. Theft is ubiquitous. Big corporations do it. Big governments do it. Banks do it. Phone companies do it. Media services do it. Insurance companies steal. All these practice theft in one way or another. They steal. They thrive by taking to themselves or keeping to themselves what they ought to give away, things that don't rightly belong to them. And the little guy, the average citizen, the little guy who suffers, well, that person steals too. And theft happens in ways that we might not consider. A man robs from the honor of another man's name when he slanders him, when he speaks ill of him, when he's not there to defend himself. A man robs from the welfare of another man when in his spiritual stinginess he doesn't take the time to earnestly pray for him. A world is robbed by the absence of Christian intercessors. A man or a woman steals the happiness of a home when they commit adultery. King David, he stole the earthly bliss of Uriah's home and he stole the honor of a woman when he stole that man's wife. Students in the university who refuse to do good and honest work, they steal and they become thieves when they plagiarize. The person who leaves the grocery store and realizes that he's not being charged for an item and he considers it his lucky day and he goes on his merry way, that person is a thief and that person is a robber. The one who doesn't tithe to the church, according to Malachi 3.8, that person is a thief. That person is a robber who steals from God, we read. You see, the world churns with theft. Every day, theft abounds. And God, in His eternal wisdom, He has forbidden theft. And in His love for us, He's commanded us to do otherwise. To the church, God says, you are the light of the world. So let your light shine before men that they may glorify your Father in heaven. Do not take what is not yours, the Lord says. Now, as much as we hate the idea of, uh, of things being stolen from us, there are reasons why theft is so common. There are reasons why all of us today are such capable thieves when opportunity arises. And I want to explore today briefly two of these reasons why you and I gravitate towards theft. These aren't exhaustive reasons, but I think that they're helpful to understand. The first reason has to do with our gospel passage today. At the close of Matthew 6, Jesus addresses a temptation that all of us face from day to day, a temptation to doubt 
that God will provide. We see our want, we see no immediate provision, and we doubt that God will satisfy us. And so we take matters into our own hands. This is God's charge against King David. After he stole Uriah's wife, God says to the king, didn't I satisfy you before? Wouldn't I have continued to satisfy you? Wouldn't I have given you even more, David, if only you had asked me? Why have you done this, David? Why have you forgotten me? Why have you doubted who I am, David? Why did you steal that man's wife? It's the very same thing with respect to our first parents. God had promised to satisfy Adam and Eve. God had promised to satisfy them with everything that they could rightly desire. He looked and he, he said abroad, here's a garden for you, trees of every kind. But the fruit of one tree, it wasn't theirs to have. Just like Tamar wasn't Amnon's to have. Just like Esau's birthright wasn't Jacob's to have. Just like the money in the common apostolic purse, it wasn't Judas's to have. But Eve stole the fruit, and Adam stole the fruit with her after doubting that God would really, truly, and richly satisfy and provide. And so now Jesus, in the gospel passage before us, he comes to his father's defense, and he says, look how good he is, he says. Look how my father closed the world. Look how he feeds the birds. Don't you think he'll clothe you? Don't you think he'll feed you? Don't you think he'll satisfy you? Oh, how small your thoughts of my father are. You don't need to cheat on your taxes. You don't need to see if you can get away with running into the store and not paying that parking meter just for a moment. You don't need to wear that dress or that shirt with the tags on and go to the dinner party and then return it to the store the next day as if it was never worn. You don't need to keep that book that has been sitting on your shelf for far too long. You don't need to steal. God will be enough. My Father will provide for you. He knows what you need. Therefore, do what's right. Seek God. Don't steal. And so Agur, we read this morning or this afternoon, he says, feed me with food convenient for me, so that content with your provision, O God, I may not steal and profane the name of my God. All theft of whatever kind is motivated by greed, whether it's motivated by greed or motivated by fear, all of it, is rooted in this willful refusal to believe that God crowns the year with His bounty and that God's wagon tracks, they overflow with abundance. And this is why Jesus teaches us to pray every day. Lord, Father, give us this day our daily bread. And Jesus wants us to pray this way so that with our eyes, towards our Father's provision and building up a most holy faith in God's providential care, we may not be led into temptation because such temptation abounds. Secondly, 
While we must believe that God provides, we must also be firmly persuaded of how God provides. Ephesians 4:28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. See, God promises to provide for his people through their industrious work. He doesn't promise to provide to the slothful or to the lazy. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a a robber, and want will come upon you like an armed man. Goethe, that, uh, that important German writer, he wrote, it never occurs to fools that merit and good fortune are closely united. God has united good success to honest labor. He made a promise to Adam in the garden after the fall that if he worked the ground hard by the sweat of his face, he would eat bread. But see, it's much easier just to steal it. It's just easier to take it. And, you know, notwithstanding the the unfortunate plight of Jean Valjean, unjustly punished for stealing a loaf of bread to feed his sister's starving children, and notwithstanding the truth of Proverbs 6.30 that no man despises a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. Even so, God's way is to work, and the devil's way is to steal. And even Victor Hugo's Jean Valjean needs to learn a lesson, and he needs to be shown a better way through an act of generosity. When we despise the promise that God will provide through hard work, when we give in to sloth and to laziness, when we shuffle around in the day in our slippers, when we should be moving around in our work boots, when we spurn honest labor that God commands and don't believe that God expects us to sweat for our food, then we're perilously close to theft. Because even if we don't steal that loaf of bread, we're stealing time from God. Those hours, those minutes, those seconds, they're not our own. We've been bought with a price, and although Christ gives us rest, he also sends us out as laborers into his vineyard to do work for the kingdom, to make money, to be faithful with unrighteous wealth as he bids us in Luke 16, so that not only we may feed our own household, but that we may have something to provide for those who are in need. And so now we can see the flip side of this command. Not only that we should not steal, but rather that we should give. You shall not steal means you shall spend your life giving to those who need, not hoarding your wealth, but pouring it, pouring it into the lap of those who need it. And we all know the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. But I think that we should know it better than we do. And I think that those words of Abraham to Dives, the rich man, I think that they should haunt us. 
Lazarus in his poverty and in his distress, the dogs licking at his swords, had spent years just looking at that sumptuous feast, hoping against hope that a crumb might fall from that glorious table. But Dives doesn't even notice him. He doesn't even know that he's there. He's so satisfied with his good things. And then Abraham at last says to Dives, now in torment, child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. All those good things, Dives. All that sumptuousness. All that feasting, all that stuff that you surrounded yourself with and fed yourself upon, but now those good things are gone. And more importantly, Dives, the opportunity for doing good is gone. And Lazarus, Lazarus has found the true wealth that lasts forever. Dives, your time for doing good, it's gone. That, by the way, is the horror that faces the ghosts in Dickens' Christmas Carol. The time for doing good is gone. And sometimes we need a good ghost story. These things should haunt us, especially as so many today around the globe are looking to the sumptuous feast of the West, perhaps in hope that someone might have the gracious response just to give them a spare crumb from our wealthy table. Just a little crumb from all of our excess as they look to our table of feasting. I'm so hungry, says Jean Valjean. Can I stay? Madame, said the bishop, put another plate on the table. Stop, cried Valjean. You don't understand me. I'm a convict. I'm just free from the galleys. If only you can give me something to eat and a place to sleep. Do you have a stable for me? Madame, said the bishop, put some sheets on the bed in the guest room. You need not tell me who you are, said the bishop. This is not my house. It is Christ's. Whatever is here is yours. What need have I to know your name? Besides, before you told me it, I knew it. Valjean opened his eyes in astonishment. You knew my name? Yes, answered the bishop. Your name is my brother. My brothers and sisters, you shall not steal, but rather you shall give. Give abundantly, give freely, give extravagantly, even as all things in Christ have been given to you without cost. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now listen to the Lord's words. Therefore sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven 
that doesn't fail, where no thief can approach, no moth can destroy it. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.